0: Hey, this is Brennan from the Future Sickos Podcast. I enjoy watching hockey, but I also enjoy winning money watching hockey. If you would like to have the chance of winning thousands of dollars every week, sign up for DraftKings account using promo code THPN. Where the Sickos were despicable and that's always Yes, uh, 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 uh sick as me but you can hear our disease he's called
1: the doctor call an ambulance but it's not me where the sick
0: were despicable and that's all we scream yes uh, 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 uh. yes greetings Ottawa Sanders fans thank you for tuning in to episode 8 of the future sickcos podcast today is a pretty special episode probably one of the bigger moments in Derek and I's Ottawa senators uh kind of hobby career so we are absolutely thrilled to be able to welcome on pierre dorian onto the show and how are you doing today pierre
1: very good how about you guys
0: excellent thanks for asking doing well and uh pierre i think so so to get things started there's there's a question that that everyone has been wondering um so it's kind of crazy what everyone what people go viral for on the internet and what you went viral for was your infamous cup throw against the Ottawa Founders in, in uh, overtime? And we want to know what was in
1: the cup, Pierre. Oh, it's very simple. During games, all I drink is either cold water or hot water with uh, lemon or lime.
2: All right. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Pierre, uh, again, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I want to start by saying congratulations to your son Antoine for being selected by the Kingston Frontenacs. Um, can you give us a quick little scouting report on Antoine? Yeah,
1: I can definitely do that. He doesn't want he doesn't want anything um, to do with his dad at times. Like if we go to the grocery store and people come up to me, or if we go anywhere and I get recognized, he goes, "No one cares who you are, dad." So that's we let that <laughs> out there for a um, uh, quick report on him. He's a late bloomer. He played double-A most of his life. He finally played triple-A this year. Uh, Two-way center, uh, very good hockey sense, great work habits. Has to work on his quickness. Um, He models himself after one of my favorite players, Patrice Bergeron. He's a right-handed shot center. He's good on draws, good defensively. He'll never be outworked, and uh, that's what makes me most proud. You know, Not everyone is talented, but when I go watch him either in practice or games, I think I can vouch that he's always one of the hardest-working guys.
2: Thanks for that, Pierre.
0: That sounds exactly like a Pierre Dorian kind of player, a, a late bloomer. We got ourselves a hardworking guy. You, you must be a proud dad. Yes, um, I am. Proud so, of both my
1: kids. I have a daughter, Vanessa, too, uh, who's uh, just been accepted to uh, Toronto Film School. Uh, so proud of both my kids. Awesome. Well,
0: congratulations. That's awesome. Awesome news. Um, so on that front, we kind of had to revisit the drawing board with our questions today after some big news that that came through yesterday. So we appreciate you giving us some some great stuff to talk about, it was very kind of you. Um, so so our, our question with the, the Pierre uh, Maguire announcement, it kind of sounds like it was something that was in the works for a long time and it was a role that you really wanted to fill. And I'm kind of curious, I, I know in your uh, conference yesterday you just stated that he brings a lot of a lot of exposure to different players, and that's going to be a major asset in his role. And I'm curious uh, what other duties you see him in. If you think that he'll be dealing a lot with the media, like what what, what exactly you think? Uh,
1: I think when you bring someone of uh, Pierre Maguire's uh, wealth of knowledge uh, and experience in many facets of the game, whether it was scouting, coaching, uh, being part of management, I, I think we're going to use them all in a lot of facets. You know, whether it's uh whether it's pro scouting whether it's amateur scouting whether it's college recruitment you know he's, he's got a son going to college he's gone to a lot of games uh in boston over the last few years where he scouted um whether it's you know player development uh spending time in belleville i i think a lot of things uh you know whether it's player evaluation player transactions i think he just brings another set of fresh eyes and another set of experienced eyes that'll be beneficial for our organization
2: all right, Pierre, um, I have to ask you this question. Uh, it's sort of the elephant in the room, if you will. Um, you know, if I didn't ask this question, we probably wouldn't have a podcast. Um, the, the fan base is dying for an update on the RFAs specifically Brady Kachuk. Um, but also Drake Batherson, can you give us any sort of update or perhaps I'll, I'll, I'll frame it this way. Are you optimistic that both of these players will be signed by training camp?
1: Um, uh. Uh, of course, I'm optimistic that both of these players will be signed by training camp. Uh, there's n- no doubt in our, you know, when we're looking as we're building our team, that these two players are big part of our team. Uh, we also got to sign Victor Mete, who could have arbitration rights. You got Philip Gustason, You know, with the, we know the importance of these two players. And as I've never done and never will do, or I don't negotiate through the media and as with the Shabbat announcement, it came out of left field, and we hope that with these next two, with these two players and also and Mete, and a few other RFAs that we'll be, uh, we'll be able to announce them when it comes a time.
2: Thanks for that. Uh, so, uh, Pierre, I, I want to move into the draft. Uh, yes. Last year, um, you identified some talent tiers just prior to the draft. Uh, if I'm remembering <laughs> correctly, it was uh, something like three players in the top tier. We all know who those guys are now with Lafreniere, Byfield, and Stutzla. Uh, and then from, I think, about 4 to 12, you had the next um, sort of group of players. Um, this year, Brennan and I agree that, um, you know, there's sort of one talent tier at the top from 1 to 12. But we're curious where you see the talent tiers. Like, do you think there's a lot of division between where you're selecting at
1: 10 and the first overall player this year? Well, this year, is it's a totally different draft here i think with the limited amount of unions that you've had uh the limited uh ohl players sh- you know what they were able to show as far as playing you know some didn't play some played in erie some played at the under 18 uh european you got a pretty good sense of what was going on over there so i, I think this is going to be the weirdest draft when we're looking at this draft and I know people like to rank the draft the morning after the draft, which is probably the worst exercise ever. But when you look at this draft, I think this is one that you're going to look at five years down the road and say, wow, you know, how did, how did this player slip to the third round? You know, and how did this player, there might be a player that was eligible this year that doesn't get taken, that gets taken next year in the first round, you know, just because of exposure. So it's so difficult and not that I'm trying to avoid the question. You know, I, I think, where we are, the Ottawa centres, we're in a good spot. And it could be, you know, in taking part of the meetings, it could be almost a one to 15, and then you fall into another bracket, and then, you know, depending where the next group is, but we still, you know, we have a first and two seconds, uh, San Jose's second part of the Eric Carlson deal, and our own second, and, um we feel we're going to get three good hockey players. After that, it's a bit more of a crash with this year, not because the players aren't talented. Don't get me wrong. It's just, we don't know them as well, but the 32 teams that we'll be picking this year are in the same boat.
0: Does that mean that this might be the year to take risks or does that mean that this is more so a year to kind of stick with what you know?
1: I think, you know, I think you can always take calculated risks as scouts you know, and knowing the background of the player, knowing the player, you can always take calculated risks, and our scouts are outstanding, so they'll know what calculated risks to take. But at the same time, you can try and take a home run. We're a team that has a lot of prospects, so we can afford maybe to gamble on a home run. But you always want to acquire as many quality assets as possible through the draft.
2: Uh, I, what Brennan's really dying to know is <laughs> what, what's your philosophy on drafting a goalie uh, within the top 10?
1: Now, to me, if he's the best player, if he's the player that will help you win, at that point in time, uh, you have to take him. Like If you feel that this guy is a uh, Carey Price type, a Vasilevsky type, if you feel he's that good and he, he could be a component to you know having a cup run, whether it's in three, four, five, six, seven, eight years, and you feel that's a missing part or he can be your MVP, you have to look at it.
0: Wonderful. So one one thing I wanted to touch on, so you stated um, that a lot of people like to revisit the draft the day after the draft, and that might not be the best exercise. And a lot of people who revisited the draft after last year's draft kind of scratched their head at the Jake Sanderson pick at five. And, you know, I, I do have to say, Derek and I are both we're both massive fans of Sanderson. We were stoked when he was selected fifth overall. Um, And I think like anyone that was questioning that decision is questioning themselves now. So I'm really curious if you could kind of take us through that decision of what made Jake that choice? What what the reason was that like, he was the clear cut guy at, at number five, because obviously last year was a tough year. There was a lot of guys that brought different things to the table.
1: Yeah, no, and that is a great question. For for us as a group and myself included, uh, obviously when it comes to the top of the draft, like the Brady Kachuk year, I'll go out and scout more. And obviously, I saw the players that were available um, that were available for a pick at five. Um, I spent quite a bit of time in Germany and Europe, and then you know saw all of these players in the draft. And our our thought process is we felt. Jake was the best defenseman available. We thought he brought a complete game. If you watched him in the first half of the year compared to the second half of the year, his offensive dimension, uh, it grew on him. But at times there's adjustments that players make at the start of the year. You never know. Was he battling a little injury? Was he not comfortable with his partner? Were there underlying circumstances where maybe his coach told him, Okay, in the first half, we don't want you carrying the puck as much or just defend, you know. So we don't know any of these things. You know, we do try to find out as much as we can. And, and with Jake, you just saw his game blossom through the year. And when you look at the details of his game, and that's the one thing that impressed me the most, his stick details, his feet, how they angle, how he defends, how he extends a stick, how he can log important minutes against other teams' best opposition... And still be of a quality defenseman. So those are all the things we were looking for. And the no slight against anyone else that went before or after, but you no, know, it's no big secret. We we had him as the highest defenseman on our list, and we were ecstatic when he was there.
2: Absolutely. So so with uh, you know with Shabbat and Sanderson and Branstrom, uh, all on the left side, is it inevitable that one of these players is going to move over to the right side, or should we expect them to be? I know it's more of a DJ question than than a Pierre question.
1: No, but, and it is definitely a more DJ question. You know, anyone that knows anything about me, uh, I'm hired to manage a team, and we hired a really good coach in DJ to coach the team. And DJ has no objection to play the guys on their opposite side. You know, we signed Ron Hainsey, and he played on his weaker side, we'll call it, on his uh, on the right right side as a left-handed shot, and he was good at it. With I know where you're going with the question. It's a leading question, so I'll answer it right now. With, with um, Brandstrom, if you look when he's played for us on the right side, he dead ends himself too much. Okay, He skates himself, and the puck is on his backhand too much. Down the road, when you're played five, seven, eight years, then you're probably better to make that adjustment. But when you're in the toughest position step in the NHL, without a doubt, if you're looking at forwards or defense, it's not even close. Ford, you can hide to a certain degree. You know, we could hide Timmy Stutzler this year when he was minus four in Vancouver and struggling. And I don't think he wanted to get back out on the ice, you know, and, but when you you can't do that with the defense and that's why, you know, you look at how you angle to defend, you look how, what you do with the puck, you look at your transition game and, you know, DJ has no objection to play the guys on left or right. He just wants to play them on the side that they'll have more success. And on this one, I, I have to agree with my coach, when he says that he's way better suited, and if we and you know it's too bad that we can't have an hour here and I could show you about ten clips where he dead ends himself and he's not as effective and it <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> it's nothing against the player. like we've tried it. it didn't work, you know it, it, and it's not that it's not that we don't want him to have success on the right side. it's just for his development and the best course of action to him to be the best defenseman as early as we can he can be is playing on the left side
2: so so just a real quick follow-up then is jake sanderson more suited then to i because i because i guess we're, we're left with the same question right which one of these guys is going to be more comfortable playing on their opposite side has he been tried and tested on his opposite side
1: Jake has played on some on his right side, but you know, for us it doesn't matter. Having a left side of Shabbat, Sanderson, uh, Brandstrom, or whatever, whatever order you want to put it in is actually really good because you look at it. Shabbat plays a lot of minutes, gets a lot of offensive zone starts. Sanderson, when he matures, can take a lot of those minutes, play against the other team's top line. When he matures, you know, we're not saying when he's gonna step in our lineup probably at the end of the year, but when he matures, and then you have a brandstrom who can play all situations, can play your second power play. A really great transition, really great puck mover, just the adaptation. So having those three guys on the left side is not a bad thing. It's uh, it's uh, what's the expression uh, of riches? Um, Embarrassment of riches. Yes, thank you. So so it, it's a good thing. And sometimes we got to, like, we're always in a race for all these prospects. And I love prospects. I come from a scouting background. <laughs> Excuse me. I had almonds, and it's been stuck in my throat ever since. <laughs> but with these prospects, we're in a rush to to make a judgment call on them. And we don't realize how many good players have gone through waivers because they were rushed. And it, it's just and how many times an organization gives up on a guy? Eric Branston's twenty one years old right now. like hey, let's let's be careful when we assess his ceiling and what he can do. and you know, it's unfortunate with the injuries that he had last year because he would have started with the team. But unfortunately, things happened and he was exposed to someone who had COVID. He didn't have it, but he was exposed to someone who had it. So we had to follow the guidelines and the rules. And, you know, and that's one thing we were going to do next last year. You know, every guideline and rule that was put in by Ottawa Public Health, the Ontario Provisional Government, the Canadian Federal Government, we were going to follow to it to a T. So, uh, you know, and I think as the season went on, we had, we saw some really good things from Eric Brancher, and we saw some growing pains from. Him. But you know, I think uh, we know he's going to be a good NHL player, and he'll he'll determine whether he's a top two, top four, top six. You know, he'll determine where he fits in. Incredible. Um, on that note, I know that
0: you you do have, you're a busy guy with, with a lot of things on your schedule, so I I want to move on to one of my I'm later good. questions. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so so one, of the, one of the questions that I have, and, and I apologize that it might not be um, the easiest question, question to address, but I do just want to say, so after the past year, year and a half surrounding the Ottawa centres, there's been a tremendous amount of optimism as we've entered this part of the rebuild where we're starting to see the results of all of these prospects coming in. And we're really kind of starting to see the vision of that plan become assemble. And I'm very kind of curious um, if you're able to discuss kind of like that infamous conversation of, of any degree that you had with Eugene, um, which led to the, the plan of, of unparalleled success and kind of like, I'm curious if there was a certain template that you were looking at when you were like, okay, you know, like, we really have an opportunity to gain a lot of quality assets right now, um, we might be in a position where, where we're kind of like, inconsistently making the playoffs. Why don't we try to plan for something down the road where we're going to be a, a, can, like, a contender or competing for a very long time?
1: Uh, you know, the plan came about, um, it was February, I think in my second year as general manager. We sat down and, you know, we could be a team that could be in the playoffs one year, miss one year, in the playoffs one year, miss another year. And we just felt uh, that for us to have the longest term success that we needed to do a rebuild. And we had some good assets and you know there, there were some unpopular decisions and we we feel that we've made some good trades you know it, it's unfortunate that sometimes you know some trades you know you're getting the maximum return other trades the market's not there you know people don't know sometimes some of the trades we've made maybe i was negotiating negotiating with only one gm there were one team interested in the player or there was Maybe only two teams and one offer was almost ridiculous. So people don't know that, and, and and I, you can question everything. And our fans are great, and you can question anything. But we just felt at that point in time that this was the route to take, and we knew with you know our great amateur scouting staff led by Trent Mann, myself, um, knowing a lot of the younger players in the league, guys like we picked up in trades like Josh Norris, you know. You know, guys like that that we knew would would be impactful players as, as we moved along. I think Eric Branstrom will be an impactful player to a certain degree as moving along. That this was the right thing to do to have. So every time the puck dropped, we knew we'd be a playoff team. Now, there's been a few hard years. We're not going to debate that. But going from there, but because no one ever talks about in that year that we had all these top-end players, and we were still 30th or 31st or 29th, you know, so it was time, maybe the mix wasn't right, because they're all great players, but it was just time to make a change, and, you know, I I think a big part of that is when we hired DJ, we really made a great culture change, Uh, he knew what to do with young players and the development, and what he did in the past few years, you know, there are some games, you know, if we're trying to win the cup this year that some of the younger guys probably don't play in the last 10 minutes but the experience they gain this year from playing in those last 10 minutes will be beneficial for us you know uh, when we're in the playoffs and the games really matter it's the same thing as you know we brought in a lot of veterans this year and we we didn't bring in the most talented veterans this year not because they were the most talented we brought the highest character veterans to make sure that the kids they could be placeholders for a year. And you're seeing a few teams do that. I mean, you can figure out who's going to do it over the course of a few of the last few trades where you bring in guys that might not be at the peak of their talent and might be, might be on the descending curve of their playing career, but the leadership that they will bring in their room to make sure every young player does the right way is valuable experience, is valuable experience that you can't buy moving forward. And that was one of the plans we did. Now every, Not everyone panned out and we tried to, you know, I'll probably have to tell you that one guy who was maybe trying to hit a home run and as a placeholder in case Stutzel didn't work. You know, when we signed Galchenyuk, I don't mind telling you guys, I think a few weeks before Stutzel had broken his hand, we didn't know how long it was going to be. So we had to protect ourselves, you know, in case Stutzel couldn't play, in case it was, you know, you never know what happens you know, with the fracture and every going all these things. So there, there's always a method to the madness in every move that you make, especially when you're last year when we started the season at that critical part of the the, the rebuild the previous year we were trying to do something else every year you try to do something different you know with where you are with your team with your young players their development you have to make sure that they earn their ice time that it's not given because once your team gets better they have always have to know that they're competing for that ice time so that's where dj has done a tremendous job we've worked together on this And, you know, with the blessing of Mr. Malik, you know, and we've all taken our lumps because of it. But I think as we move forward, we're going to see, you know, the growth and the process and the success of our team. All
2: right. Yeah. Quickly uh, before, because I know we're running out of time here. Um, Mm -hmm. This is a question that I have to get in for the fan base. Everyone wants to know there's speculation in the media. Um, You guys are hoping to acquire a top line center this year and a top four defenseman potentially. Um, Would you say that's an accurate description of what you guys are aiming to do this offseason? Or is that something that comes later on?
1: No, we're always looking to improve our team. Uh, You know, there there are certain positions that, uh, you know, it's no secret that we have to, there are certain positions that we have to improve upon. I think we have to improve upon our depth. Some of our younger prospects are not ready to step in. You know, they're they're pegged for Belleville. They're going to have bigger roles in Belleville. We don't want to rush them. Um, you know, a, lo- a lot of times we could have brought Josh Norups up a year ago, but we felt the best thing for his development was to stay in Belleville. We gave him a little taste, um, you know. It- so it's making sure that we still have that internal competition. Uh, but at the same time, I would have to tell you that, of course, there are certain positions that we've targeted in the off season, and we know that uh, you know to take the next step that it's going to be important to have uh, as good as depth as possible.
0: Wonderful. And, and on that note, um, as, as we take off, I think someone that a lot of Ottawa Senators fans always really admired and someone that I know was very close to you as a close friend was Brian Murray. And I was wondering if maybe there was like one little piece of advice or, or any life lessons that uh, Brian had taught you that, that you might want to leave us with today.
1: Well, I, I think the, the one thing is Brian and I used to pretty much, uh, we, I think we both like to eat. We used to go to lunch almost every day together. Uh, and you know, there were a lot of life lessons. I think one time, um, I was really mad at the refereeing and he just said, Pierre, calm down. And not that I was, I was just mad, you know, about what had happened. He goes, here's the pro- how do you go about the process? You phone the head referee tomorrow. You talk to him calmly and see if he'll reason with you. And at the end he goes, you know, Pierre, it's just a game. So he said, like, don't you know? As much as we all care, Uh, I think the most patient person in my life is my girlfriend because I live about 32 minutes away from the rink. And when we lose a game and we drive back home together, I don't think I talk to her for the first 29 minutes because I'm so mad. And there've been quite a few losses over the last few years. So we have to realize, as much as everyone knows about my passion, our management staff passion, the coach's passion, our players' passion, is it's still just a game.
2: That's awesome. Thank you so much, Pierre, for joining us. Uh, We really appreciate appreciate the opportunity and we hope that sometime in the near future we can catch up again. Thank you so much, Pierre.
1: That'd be great. And Jada's in my prayers all the time. Best of luck to you guys. Okay.
2: Thank you very much. Well, that was good. Yeah. (laughs) So that was uh, Pierre Dorian, the general manager of the Ottawa senators. We were, Blessed with an opportunity to uh, to talk to the GM. Not many podcasts, uh, you know, get that opportunity. Um, so that was huge for us. And uh, we hope that uh, we were able to address everything in the, you know, the short bit of time that we had with Pierre. And I think we got, you know, most of the burning questions out of the way that the fan base was, uh, you know, hoping to hear. We hope we did you guys justice. Uh, what did you think, Brennan?
0: Yeah, I, I honestly like I, I was really impressed with um, his openness and, and his, yeah. his, uh, his willingness to, to speak on topics to us. I, I thought that, that that kind of spoke volumes. I, there was a few questions there where he very easily could have given us very little um and he kind of almost went out of his way to to really bring it up and i think one of the things that really stood out to me was um the the points or the weight that he spoke about eric brandstrom and the fact that he even when ahead had to say like you know um eric brandstrom's 21 years old we we need to be patient you with this kid like he's, yeah. you don't, you don't you don't trade that guy um but but like i think it was just it was really really great to hear that even kind of the way that he addressed that right side situation kind of like that impromptu question that that was um slid in there but also like I I like the I like the way that that we handled the questions but um but no like I I do really like the way that he answered that um I I felt that um he was really honest and I think that it was something that kind of like a lot of fans were already sensing um so to be able to get that clarity is 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 pretty cool
2: yeah I I'm with you on the brandstrom uh you know that that he addressed, you know, you don't trade a player who's 21 years old um, and you know has, you know, a ceiling as high as Brandstrom's. Um, it would be, you know, kind of foolish unless you're getting something, you know, really special in return. It's not a player that you trade. So I'm glad he addressed that because I know that's been talked about lately quite a bit. Um, so it shows that awareness too, that, you know, he, he's aware of what's being talked about
0: yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, I, I I don't know if it's um tuning into Twitter and seeing all the hot takes that come about it or or what exactly it is. But I think that I think that's something that um is really important to remember is that kind of like, general managers or or anyone really that that's in any sport or industry, like they're watching the same games as us. And and I mean, like they're going to know even closer than we are because they're going to be so, so much closer and so much more involved in it. And I think even just kind of the way that he reflected on the different steps of the rebuild and kind of like, you know, like this year, this, or last year, this was our intention. We wanted to bring in veteran guys. And, you know, Galchenyuk was kind of like a, a home run type player, just in case something didn't work out. And they kind of doubled down and just kind of knowing like those methods to the madness, because at the end of the day, there there's reasons for every decision that's made. And we can speculate as much as we want about those reasons, but unless we are in the room or or in Pierre Dorian's mind or whoever else who might be a part of those decisions we're never really going to be able to know the true reasoning behind it so I, I did think it was kind of awesome to get a view inside his perspective um but also just to kind of see like you know like th- this is the reason and even with the the rebuild how painful it was for fans and i mean like i even did want to potentially talk to him about like the personal side of of what that must have been like for him because i'm sure that that wasn't easy either like um we saw like how how personal of a guy that Pierre can be obviously like he throws on a a bit of a different face for media at times. And um, he he needs to be professional and he's passionate. So I think sometimes dealing with media can be a bit tough. Like, I I mean, at least I know that it would be hard for me. So I think that um, I I think it was really awesome to see that. And I think like kind of to get that clarity and and those reasons um, and and to kind of just like hear him say like, you know, like these are just these hockey, hockey decisions and he just really wants to win.
2: Yeah, I think you know one of the one of the main reasons for having Pierre on was you know just showing the side that I got to see of Pierre Dorian. You know, you know, like I've talked about publicly, but but him reaching out to me about Jada, you know, that was uh, that was something you know that meant a lot to me. Just you know, someone obviously that I look up to um, in the organization. You know, the basically the biggest position in the organization reaching out to me. Um, and asking me, you know, how I'm doing personally. I, I just thought that uh, that that was really special to me to get a call from him. Um, so uh, that 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 was one of the reasons for having Pierre come on. Um, but back to uh, back to his answers. I, if we're playing detective here and we're trying to guess who the Senators are going to take at number ten, he gave us some hints. Um, he said that they're afforded the opportunity to take a home run swing. Um, he talked about his philosophy of drafting goaltenders. Um, to me, if again, if I'm playing detective, I'm starting to think that uh that you're gonna be pretty happy when the senators step up to the podium and and draft Jesper Wallstadt at number ten. What do you think, Brennan?
0: I am uh, along with, along with praying for you and Jada every night, I, I am also praying that Jesper Wallstead falls from b- between the, that uh six and seven slot, because I really, really am scared that Detroit and San Jose might take the swing on him um, because they, they do have that evident need and pro- more so than Ottawa even. Um, but I do have to say that after a conversation, I am extremely optimistic that the Ottawa Senators are taking a long hard look at Jesper and that, um, I, I mean, I'm not gonna go ahead and say that I, I think that they think that he's that Carey Price uh, type goalie or, or Vasilevsky type goalie, but um, uh, given what he said, if, if that's what they believe, then he's definitely worth that pick. And I know at least myself with, with my ter- like very, very amateur, like looking at YouTube at 2 a.m. scouting ability, um, I, I know that that I truly believe that Walstead is that guy. Um, I, I, I think that he has that that franchise potential. And I, I really do think that Ottawa would see him. It seems like they kind of have a bit of a criteria when judging goalies. Uh, based on size, mobility, different things, and just just what he's been able to show over the years, um, I, I think that he has to be a bit of a standout. And yeah, I, I have to be optimistic. And I mean, I'm optimistic as a whole. It, it, it sounds like it does sound like they are willing to take calculated risks. Um, is basically what he said. And I mean, like they've been taking calculated risks for the, for the last few years. I think maybe not with all of the picks, um, but at least with some of them. And and I do think that him uh, kind of going on and, and stating that that is something that they are willing to do and, and like kind of have the luxury of being able to do with all the, the players in the pipeline that might also bode well for your boy uh Bobby and Lucel. so how, how did you feel about that
2: yeah that was uh, that was my favorite answer from him because I actually had a loaded question that I didn't even get to ask because he answered my question before I even got to it but Um, But one of the questions was, you know, are you afforded the opportunity now with the prospect pool being sort of overwhelmed with wealth? um, Are you afforded the opportunity to take a calculated risk, sort of a home run swing on a player with a high ceiling with a lot of skill, but maybe not as certain of a floor as some other prospects around? Because they typically take, you know, I want to say that the safer player, who still has a high ceiling, but but a little bit more of a safer player. So, um, so I was really pleased with that answer because it it sort of presents the opportunity that he selects both of our guys. I mean, it, you know, it could be Wallstedt, it could be Fabian Lucelle who came on our show and told us he had a good interview with the Ottawa Senators and felt really good about it. Um, to me, I mean, I, I still think Lucelle would be the ultimate uh, would be the ultimate pick on this team, but I've warmed up to the idea of Wallstedt. Um, especially having watched this year's Stanley Cup final and just seeing how good Vasilevsky is and, and how important it is. I mean, you have Price versus Vasilevsky in the final. It really does highlight just how important it is to have a number one uh, top-tier goaltender. And you look at teams like Colorado that you know ultimately failed to achieve their goal. And, and to me, that was the best team going into the playoffs. Um, but not having that top-tier goaltender, it makes a difference come playoff time um it really does it it can be the difference sometimes you know you have a goaltender like Vasilevsky that can stand on his head and you know Kucherov told us it's uh, number one BS um you know <laughs> that's uh that's the guy who deserved the MVP MVP um you know both years and uh and he really did he stood on their head for them each and every series that they played in
0: number one BS man no I, I uh I completely agree. And I, I think it's just like, I mean, that that's kind of my view on it. And I understand that uh, there have been and there are teams that win goalies and when a goalie gets hot and sometimes goalies just get hot at the right time. And that's all it takes. And I think that we used to see that a lot with Craig Anderson. He might not have been the best player throughout the year, but then kind of when you would get into playoffs, you would you would really turn it on and you would turn into that. Uh, Just just wall and and playoffs. Craig Anderson was a different goalie. Um, And so but I do think that having a goalie that not only gives you a chance to finish higher up in your division because you're going to win more games because he's playing extremely solid throughout the year. But just someone that you can kind of rely on in playoffs every year. Like I, I didn't think that Grubauer looked great in playoffs. And I really thought that Colorado did and I I think that 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 really could have been the difference maker like I think that in that Vegas Colorado series it really came down to goaltending at the end and um which was kind of crazy but so yeah I I think uh I I mean like you know that I'm for it I don't need to get into it anymore I think everyone has probably heard a little too much of my blabbering about it but something that I do want to talk about is uh is the Pierre McGuire hire and and we, we did talk about it a bit with uh with Dorian and um, I know that one of the things that McGuire kind of spoke about is he, he stated, I remember last year, actually, I was listening to TSN 1200. and I remember him coming on and stating that uh, to, to win like in a Stanley cup, you need to have this template. And I think it was like those seven guys. So it's the, the two elite centers, um, a special, a power forward, a specialist forward um, and off like uh, tr- transitional, like offensive defenseman a shutdown defenseman, and a elite goaltender. And I'm curious if you feel that that is something that the Ottawa Senators are trying to build because I, I don't know that I've agreed with all of Pierre's takes over the years, but I do have to say that that is one thing that I've actually agreed with because I think when you look at the Chicago Blackhawks when they were their dynasty and you look at even Tampa Bay now and a lot of these teams who – have been extremely competitive for a long period of time. They, they kind of fit that mold.
2: Yeah, that's, I mean, that's definitely, you know, one of the, one of the standout things that, uh, that he said. Um, And and yeah, I've been, I've been critical of Pierre Maguire's uh, sort of interviews for, for being a little bit, um, I guess, obvious. (laughs) Um, He kind of says, you know, some very obvious things or, or at least, um, On the radio station, the local radio station, TSN 1200, they sort of highlight the the obvious things that he says. So um, it ends up being kind of comical and and funny uh, when he speaks. But, yeah, I mean, that that model for success, I think, you know, you could use that model and apply it to everyone who's won the the Stanley Cup. But I, I think it's a lot easier said than done to sort of build a team around that model. It takes a lot of things, right? I mean, we're in... Um, sort of the most important contract negotiations right now, uh, in terms of you know where the team is heading with Brady Kachuk and Drake Batherson contracts, uh, as well as Victor Mete. Um, you know, those are those are two significant contracts. Um, and a lot of you know, what's being paid to those guys sort of leaves the rest of the the pie, I guess, for everyone else. So if you're gonna build a team around that model, you have to make sure that these guys are signed for um, a deal that works for both the team and the players. Um, so that's why it's, it's easy to go and and say, you know, this is the sort of model for success, but it often takes, you know, maybe a player or two taking a bit of a pay cut to build sort of a full team around them. Um, and, you know, one of the, one of the ways you could do that is trying to save money. And I think um, specifically on the Drake Batherson contract, I think that's an area where if the senators can stretch that contract um, out, because I think we can project where Drake Batherson is going to be. I think it's it's safe to assume that he's going to be a top six forward. Um, if you could stretch that out and maybe pay him, you know, five million as opposed to, you know, six or seven or even eight that he could be worth in the future, you're saving that much money to use elsewhere on your team. So um, those are so, sort of the important financial pieces um, to building this thing uh, alongside that model that you just talked about from Pierre Maguire. And, and I think the hire, it's an interesting hire. I mean, this is a guy who has been looking for a job in hockey, I think, for quite some time. Um, and now he's going to get an opportunity. Uh, one thing I'll say about Pierre Maguire is he's fun to listen to. He, he always brings um, a ton of energy um, from a broadcasting perspective. Um, he He just always has that that energy and he has an easy voice to listen to unlike uh, my boring voice here but uh but yeah I, you know that's uh, that's my perspective what do you think about the the contracts because Pierre addressed the contracts by saying he's optimistic that he can get those guys signed by training camp <sighs>
0: Oh, I thought it was—I thought it was great. I thought that it was a very, <laughs> a very Pierre Dorian response to a question that he receives all too often. Um, but, but no, I, I do have to say, I, I was extremely impressed actually that he brought up Victor Mate Met, Met, because we had spoken about it before, and and we didn't know that we would, or like we didn't know if that was specifically something we would touch on because really the kind of focus was on Batherson and Kachuk. But, but the fact that he did bring up Mate. Um, In his contract as well, I thought was promising. And I mean, like he mentioned that he has arbitration rights. And I think that the senators organization and Pierre Dorian are, are very aware of what they have in front of them. And the fact that he referred to Kachuk and Batherson as being two key pieces made me extremely optimistic. Like, I think that the fact that he said that those are two guys that are going to be very, very important and in- integral part of that of that rebuild and of that success moving forward. I think that that, that was extremely promising. And I mean, like, I, I know that they want to sign these guys. And I know that there is a bit of a history and hesitancy with fans kind of trusting that. However, I think that this time is different like i know i know it's one of those things to say but i really do feel like this is this is something that has been in the works for such a long period of time and they've laid so many different tiles down and so many different pieces that it's like they want to make sure that they sign these guys but they probably have like an exact amount that they know that each of these guys are worth and they probably have time frames for for when these guys should be earning that money and for how long because it's all going to basically fall down like a, a, a row of dominoes if it works perfectly. Right. So it's kind of just one of those things. I think Peter Dorian is lined up his dominoes. And I think that um, like, like I, I, I truly believe that they are just trying to work on a deal. That's going to be best for long-term success for this organization, for both of those guys. And I think another thing too that we have to realize, and actually something that I want to touch on is um, just how some of this stuff can sometimes be out of the general manager's control and out of the organization's control. And one of the things that he spoke about was, was that the media or or just fans in general don't necessarily know what the situations are like through negotiations. And um, I, I do think that that's extremely true when looking at contracts as well you don't know like there's certain guys who are probably sitting there and being like i'm worth x amount of money and it's it's we would even bath like baffled be baffled by it if a team were to give out those contracts i mean we've seen it in toronto um but but i do think that when like that also applies obviously to the context that he was speaking about it in uh which was regarding trades and i was curious if um if you felt that that might've alluded to something, if we were playing detective again, if you felt that when he was saying like, you know, you don't know what those offers were, um, do you think that there's any trades that that might've been um, kind of specifically addressed to I think we kind of know it it wasn't Eric Carlson, so.
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, maybe maybe it was. I mean, at the time, you look at the Carlson deal, at the time, a lot of people thought that was a horrible trade, first off. A lot of people felt like, You know, he could have got way more for Carlson and it was even reported in the media that he was offered, you know, X, Y, and Z for for Carlson, you know, from, I think it was Tampa Bay at the time that was uh, really kicking tires in Vegas as well. Um, And a lot of people felt like he didn't get a great return for Carlson. Then we look back at the return for Carlson and well, one of them is that jersey that you got hanging up behind you. Um, You know, another one is Josh Norris, who happens to be the future number one center on the team. I mean, those two pieces alone, absolutely phenomenal return when we're looking back. And then, of course, Carlson goes and signs for $11 million in San Jose with that injury trouble. And you're looking back on that situation now and uh, everyone's eating their words. Um, But I I thought that was interesting, too. You know, maybe it was uh, Mark Stone that he was alluding to a little bit in terms of the return. He got, um, you know, Eric Brandstrom, but maybe... You know, I, I'm I'm not quite sure. I can't really put a finger on it because I think the returns generally. I was pretty pleased with, you know, most of those big players. I thought he got a, a pretty generous return for each of them. Even Matt Duchesne at the time, I thought the return was was pretty good. Um, but that's one that I guess you're looking back on and you're saying, you know, maybe he could have got a little bit more. But uh, but but really, I mean, at the time that seemed like a pretty good deal, especially for a player on an expiring contract. Um, and, and a player that just you know quite frankly didn't really work out for the Senators the the way that they had hoped. Um, I thought you know the the returns were pretty favorable uh, for the Senators. You could argue that Mark Stone is you know maybe the outlier there. And we talked about Brandstrom actually for a lot of the episode, and I really liked uh, Pierre's sort of analysis and how he said he could show us you know several clips of Brandstrom playing his offside and, and sort of where he's struggling right now to play that offside and, and how it, it's a, it's a journey for young defensemen uh, to to get to a stage where they're comfortable to play the offside. But I'm glad I, you know, threw that, that question in with Branstrom and Sanderson and just trying to figure out, you know, who's going to be the guy to play the other side or are you guys comfortable rolling, you know, three different decors uh, or three different defense, defensive pairings with uh, you know, Shabbat, Brandstrom Sanderson. I mean, that's a that's a heavy D- decor right there on three different units. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, what did you think? What did you you think about the you know brandstrom Sanderson sort of fiasco of questions that uh, that we had lined up for him there playing on the offside? Do you think that's something that eventually will happen?
0: Yeah. So so first of all, I just want to say that I, I was. Um, like, I, I don't know if I want to say thrilled, but I feel I feel like I was thrilled given the answer he stated uh, re- regarding Eric Brandstrom and saying that, you know, like he, he could go back and, and look at clips and you could kind of see where those gaps are. And I think that it's, I, I feel like, like, I don't know, just hearing that really kind of like, it, it really clicked, clicked for me because I think that surrounding Eric Brandstrom. We're very quick to be like, oh, but you know, in junior or like when he he was playing, like coming up, he was always on that right D. He always played on that right D. So why aren't you playing him on that right D? Like, I don't understand. That's that's really his natural side. He might have a left shot, but he's always been playing right D. And I think that it kind of just goes to show that the NHL is just a different level. And clearly, like there is a reason why they feel that at this moment, it doesn't make sense to put them on the right side and and they have their reasoning for it. And I understand that like that has been an area of frustration um, within, within the community, because obviously like the right side is just not as strong as the left side. That's no secret. However, I do think that if the the team believes that running those three different pairings with uh, like maybe elite guys on the left-hand side of each of those three pairings, if they believe that that could be a recipe for success, then I, I can't see why it wouldn't as well. Like I know that um, I, I think like Mark with thought spoke about it previously, how they kind of had um, like when uh, they were on their run, it was kind of like that, that right side was stronger and they kind of played like a bit of a style around that. And and maybe there's different styles that the Ottawa Senators can play if they do have that left side a bit bit heavier to be able to kind of throw um, up those guys. Like, you look at our left wing position and it's probably our strongest position. Mm. And really like those, those are positions that when you're looking in terms of transition, like those, that is the area of transitioning up the left-hand side of the ice, then maybe that's a strong suit. Um, So, so yeah, I, I think like, I think it was a really good way of addressing it. At the end of the day, Brandstrom is young. And I think that that was kind of all like, like that was what everything came back to that Pierre Dorian was saying regarding a lot of the questions with him or regarding a lot of the conversation. And I, I do think that um, he w- is, is just being very real and just saying like, Hey, like we're going to be very patient with this guy. We are patient with this guy and uh, we're not putting him on the right side because right now there's issues, but we're not saying he's not going to play on the right side in the future. Maybe down the road, he, he does grow his game and he's able to kind of fill in those gaps and, and that becomes a better fit for him. Um, I do I do want to say though, I, I do personally think that Jake Sanderson on the right side is likely sooner. I, I think that having like I, I just think with the way that he plays the game and I, I just know how thrilled, um, even if it's not this year a year or two from now, how thrilled Dorian and and DJ are going to be with his game. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he kind of got that stint. Um, and, and maybe that was something that, uh, Pierre was also speaking to you when, when he was saying, you know, like when, when Sanderson comes up, they believe that he's going to be that shutdown guy.
2: Yeah, I thought, uh, you know, all of his answers, I thought were were really well thought out and, and really gave us a lot of information, really. Um, a lot of the burning questions that we've been, you know, talking about for quite some time were addressed, I feel like, during the interview. And uh, one of the questions I threw out Just before we ended, I had to throw out the question because a lot of people were messaging me to ask this. uh, But it was about the potential to trade for, which has been speculated in the media. Number one center and a top four defenseman. I mean, looking to acquire sort of both pieces this offseason. I don't know if he fully addressed that, you know, this is sort of the time to uh, to make that sort of trade. Um, but but I think he touched on you know they're always sort of shopping and, and looking to make trades that will help the, the team in the, in the now and the future. Um, but I'm curious what your thoughts are. Do you think this is the time that the Senators make a big splash like that?
0: I think I think given his answer, I almost felt like it was more like if the deal makes sense, it's the time. Yeah. I, I don't think that they're necessarily going to go out and just try to target someone and overpay someone just to kind of get that number one center or even like someone who might not be a number one center, but they're like, Oh, well, you know, or, or maybe not the best option, the, the best person for the job um, just to kind of get someone to plug in there uh, just, just because they have that NHL experience. So I think that it's the right time if the right deal presents itself. I do think that the Ottawa Senators are able to be patient with it, and I think that they should be. And I think that Dorian kind of alluded to that. In my opinion, that that was at least my take on the answer. Is that you know, like that that is a need. That's no secret that that's a need, but is it a need that we're going to address right now? Is it a need that makes sense to address right now? Do we have the right, the right pieces to get a deal done? And one thing I want to say is I, I feel like he's gotten a lot. Uh, he, he continues to do well with trades recently, in my opinion. Um, I, I mean, like, I, I guess that could kind of be upper speculation. There, there's some trades that, that, uh, that may not be the case. You definitely win some and you, you lose some. However, I, I do think that patience is a virtue when trading. And I, I felt that that was what his answer alluded to, in my opinion.
2: I agree with you there. I don't think I, I certainly don't think they're in a rush to make a big deal like that. Uh, and they don't have to be in a rush to make a big deal like that. I think um, this is sort of, you know, this is my view on things and people can disagree. But I, I view this season as the last sort of developmental season. Um, but I do still think it's a developmental season. I don't think they necessarily have to make the playoffs this season I think they have to show another sort of progression and another um, forward step toward making the playoffs. But you look in the Atlantic division, making the playoffs in that division specifically is not an easy task. Um, it's going to take, you know, a lot of luck, but, uh, but a string of, you know, wins. And, and you can't have losing streaks that last more than, you know, a couple of games. It would take... It would take a significant amount of growth for the Ottawa Senators to make the playoffs in this Atlantic division this season. Um, so I do feel like they're afforded the opportunity to be patient. And I think that's, you know, the the overall plan is to build a Stanley Cup champion, and it's not to build another sort of fringe playoff team. And I think we have to keep that perspective in mind. Um, and that's why, you know, these, thing, these things take time to marinate. It's not something that Um, that's necessarily going to happen overnight. So um, it's important to be patient. I would love to see, you know, what Brady Kachuk looks like in a playoff series. I will say that I I think he's, you know, sort of built for the playoffs and there's a lot of senators players that I believe are built for the playoffs. You know, you look around the league and you look at teams that have a lot more regular season success, like Toronto Maple Leafs. But uh, you know uh, when it comes to the playoffs um, you know, sometimes the the mental strength and the mental toughness um, it isn't there. Um, but when I look at the senators team, that's the the one reason for optimism is you look at the the character we keep alluding to it, the character within that group and their mental toughness and you know just their willingness to block a shot even if they're down six to one in a game. I mean it it sort of stands out right now because those are the little developmental things that we sort of look at. Um, in terms of where this team's going to go in, in the future. And I think they have a lot of those players with a lot of intangibles. And I think that was the philosophy around the, the rebuild that you know, Pierre and, and company sort of built.
0: So something I wanted to ask you uh, just before we wrap up here, so Pierre, again, so he's he, I, I, about the patients, I, I feel like there was a lot of talk about patients and I think that it makes a lot of sense because this plan was a long time coming and, and we want to wait and see it through and not make any dramatic changes to just completely sabotage the whole thing. But one thing that he stated is he's like, you know, there's a lot of guys who get rushed and they end up on waivers or they end up like not making a team because they get rushed. And I think he kind of said it in the context of Jake Sanderson. And I'm curious if you felt that with that kind of mentality, um, if the Ottawa Senators may not be done with Logan Brown, if you feel, if you, if you do feel that, you know, like they still feel that they can be patient with this guy. And although I know a lot of fans, might not be patient with him right now. Do you feel that that is truly the philosophy that they're operating with if you think that Logan Brown has another real shot with the Ottawa Sanders next year?
2: You know, I'm actually a little disappointed that we didn't frame a question around Logan Brown just because that was one of the burning questions um, at the end of the season. But uh, but something that actually completely slipped my mind. I almost uh, you know planned for the team without Logan Brown Right now, um, you know, and we've been doing that for a couple of years now, like everyone's like, oh, yeah, Logan Brown's going to be traded. He's going to be traded. He's going to be traded. Um, But yeah, I I thought, you know, when he brought that point up, I really genuinely feel like he was talking more about Branstrom. And that's sort of what's been circulated in the media more recently is that, you know, Branstrom's the guy that could potentially be traded in the future or maybe doesn't fit uh, because of the, you know, the undersized sort of defenseman that they currently have in Branstrom and uh, Mete. As for Logan Brown, honestly, Brennan, I I think patience eventually runs out. um, and, And I feel like Logan Brown, you know, has sort of soured on the organization. I feel like the organization has probably soured on Logan Brown. Would I like to see him stick around and get one more opportunity? Yes, because I feel like there is some untapped potential. But when I go back to, you know, here's the the two sort of thoughts playing in my head. The counter thought is that, you know, there's the Toronto Maple Leafs, you know, side of things that we just touched on. But uh, Logan Brown would be a, a real good fit in Toronto because um, I feel like he plays with that sort of mentality. You know, he's a great big hulking player who plays like a, a you know, he's soft as a marshmallow sometimes. He, he doesn't uh, He doesn't play the sort of game that you would expect from a player his size. Um, And he just doesn't seem to have that mental toughness that I think the senators are building their sort of recipe for success on. So I feel like he doesn't fit in the system. I feel like it's time to give him a a fresh look. You're not going to get much for him. So, you know, from a a fan base perspective, um, Pierre touched on this, but, you know, he's not going to get the sort of offers that I see people are, you know, the, the number one player to throw into a trade. Um, you know, for everyone on social media is Logan Brown, because they have this perception that he's going to be a, you know, a top line center in the league. And I just don't think that's the case. So I think it's time to move on from them, give them a a fresh opportunity somewhere else. And, and just, uh, they're not all going to develop into the players that you, you hope they would when you draft, but in the Senator's case, I think most of the players have, and I think they've done an excellent job, excellent job when it comes to drafting, and scouting prospects. And I think, uh, you know, Trent Mann and Pierre Dorian do, do a great job. Um, So we'll be pleased with whoever they pick at, at 10th. Um, And I feel like we can be confident and Dorian said he can get three good players from this draft. I feel like that will happen, but uh, I feel like the senators have uh, probably spent too much time developing Logan Brown and and trying to find the right sort of situation for him. And, you know, he's injured more than Conor McGregor. So uh, I don't know.
0: Oh, wow. All right. Well, on that note, uh, I would like to thank everyone for tuning in for for this episode. I I would like to extend a a very important thank you to Pierre Dorian for taking the time out of his incredibly busy schedule and joining us on this. Um, it, It was truly an honor. I know at least like From my perspective, that was uh, one of the coolest things I've ever been able to do. Someone that I've looked up to for a really long time. So, um, thank you so much for that, and um, I I do think it speaks volumes about about his character. But um, so, thank you, thank you for everyone for tuning in, and and we really appreciate the support. Stay sick, San Diego.